Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Thank you for being here for the March 30th, Tuesday, March 30th edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. General Assembly, of course, is not in session uh, today. They have day 40 tomorrow, the final day. They'll um, get out of there. Usually it's very late at night before they do. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot of activity under the Gold Dome today. This is the day when legislators who are frantically trying to get a bill passed are talking it up among their colleagues. They're uh, tweaking, refining, looking for solutions to how they can get measures through the uh, final hours of the General Assembly. And so today on the show, I want to talk about a number of the measures that we have not focused on quite as much as um, the election uh, bill, which has dominated not just uh, conversations on our show, but the news media in general, both here in Georgia and for that matter across the country. Uh, that said, uh, Governor Kemp has been making the rounds on uh, various media outlets to explain his side of the election law. He has been telling people that it makes things easy. It makes it easier for you uh, to vote. He talks about the fact that there are more uh, 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 some more early voting opportunities. There's an additional mandatory Saturday vote. There's uh, Sunday voting is now optional for all. Uh, counties. And um, to that extent, uh, it is true that there are more opportunities for that uh, uh, your votes <clears throat> to be cast on, on those days. But of course, as we've talked about for a long time, there are other aspects of the bill which people feel, uh, who are critics of it, feel amounts to voter suppression. And we'll get back into that during the show Today, uh, we'll talk about the fact that there are increasing calls for various kinds of boycotts of the state of Georgia. So there's a lot for us to discuss on Political Rewind today. Let's get started. Let's introduce the panel. My partner on Tuesdays, Tamar Hallerman, senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here. Tamar, how are you doing? Hey, Bill. Just trying to keep up with the wave of news. It's, you know, it's coming at me. It's coming at all of us in a yeah. way. It hasn't in a while. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it's sort of like a video game, an action video game where things fly at you left and right, and you've got to try to, you know, shoot them down, bat them down, whatever. It's just astonishing how the news continues to fly at us uh, as it's doing right now. Um, we're also joined today by Heath Garrett, a Republican strategist, Republican political consultant, who uh, is starting to think about 2022 campaigns and find the candidates he wants to work with. But Heath, as we introduce you, we have not mentioned on the show that your longtime collaborator, Johnny Isaacson, who's essentially your boss, um, the General Assembly honored him by naming a bridge over, is it the Savannah River, Heath? Uh, that's right, over the Savannah River near the port. And and I saw photographs of Johnny. At Was he down at the Capitol? What was it like down there for him uh, to receive that honor? 
Well, it, it was a huge honor, and he is very uh, obviously flattered by it. As you all know, Johnny's actually a classically humble individual and, and actually has said many times he doesn't think anybody should be named after anything until they moved on to heaven. But uh, he is appreciative of, uh, of this honor and, as you know, worked uh, tirelessly on behalf of the Savannah Ports because it meant jobs for Georgia. And so uh, it, it is a fitting tribute, and he's uh, very humbled. Okay. Um, I just thought it was worth uh, m- mentioning that. Uh, we're also joined by Dr. Kurt Young, chairman of the political science department and a political science professor at Clark Atlanta University. Kurt, thanks for being with us. Great to be back, Bill. How's everything going these days? Uh, as Tamar said, we're just trying to keep up uh, with, with the news. Senator yeah. Jen Jordan uh, is also, Jen, have you been able to uh, stay connected to us? I know you were running down to the Capitol. Do we have you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, good, good, good. Um, so, Senator, um, first of all, how late did you all work last night on the 39th day of the session? You know, pretty late. Um, I think I got out of here between 10 and 11. Um the House actually uh, left a little bit early, which um, surprised a lot of us in the Senate, but but we were able to get our work done. So, And, you know, we've got a lot ahead of us tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a busy day, and I'm looking forward to asking you some questions about some of the measures you're particularly uh, interested in um, seeing develop uh, over over the day tomorrow. But tomorrow, let's start by talking about a couple of bills that have not gotten as much attention as the new election law. And, and I think a good place to do that is the, the bill, I think it just passed it's the Senate. Jen Jordan will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, at a time when we've had these massage parlor shootings in Cherokee County and Atlanta, the Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, shooting at the supermarket out there, um, and at a time when there are calls for more gun safety or gun control measures by many, especially Democrats in Congress and here in Georgia, um, we are likely to see a bill pass out and go to the governor for signature that actually expands uh, gun rights in Georgia. Yes? Yeah, and this is a bill that had been moving um, you know, long before um, these shootings, so it's it's worth noting then uh, because of that. Um, but it goes to show just how different the politics are in the Republican Party right now. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp campaigned on loosening gun restrictions. Obviously, it's a huge priority for the Republican base, and um, knowing that this is going to be the last opportunity until 2022, um, you see advocates of loosening gun restrictions uh, pouncing at the opportunity. And yeah, the optics are are strange after the the shooting, but this is kind of the last chance until uh, the election year. Jen Jordan, um, talk about the uh, measures that essentially expand gun rights here. Yeah, so yesterday they passed, or um, well, we passed along party lines. Uh, what is effectively the ability of of anyone to kind of come into the state, um, and as long as they have a permit from another state, um, then they can uh, carry legally. And so it's been something that's been pushed for a long time by gun advocates. And you know, the governor has promised this to uh, you know to his voters. And from um, hell or high water, that's that's what he delivered yesterday. Even you know, after the mass shootings last week. Yeah, Heath, 
help us understand um, this issue right now. The National Rifle Association has probably never been weaker. It's facing financial difficulties, scandals of various kinds. Um, and, and so I guess my question might be, Heath, whereas we used to say the NRA and then the Georgia organizations, the gun carry organizations that are lobbying uh, heavily every year for uh, loosening gun laws, um, it, it feels as if, as if maybe those organizations are not in the power p- positions they were, but that representative senators are responding to their constituents who over and over are uh, told that the Second Amendment ought to allow them to carry as many weapons as they want to, as freely as they want to. Yeah, there's no question. I'm, I've always been a little skeptical of the left's characterization that the NRA itself as an organization is what drives this debate in the country. Uh, I think that's reflective of where a majority of the people, not only the state of Georgia, but the country are in regards to the Second Amendment, right? The Second Amendment's just like the First Amendment. We take we put up with a lot of harrowing speech because of the First Amendment. We put up with a lot of you know things that we don't like about the First Amendment's protections on expression. And that would apply to the Second, the Third, the Fourth, the Fifth Amendment as well. And so the uh, most Americans, uh, most Georgians really do believe that the Second Amendment has a very broad application and there are there should be as few limits as possibly necessary on that. And that's a principled, reasonable position for them to hold uh, based on the country. Now, the debate about gun safety is one that, I, that like an immigration, I wish we could have in a more civil way and in a way that does lead to s- some results. But there's no question that, these, that the governor, there's no question that the state representatives and senators who voted this way, they're not reacting to a lobbying organization. They're reacting to their constituents and, and the majority of the people of Georgia. And reciprocity simply allows you to, if you have a, a, a gun permit in Alabama, then, then you can bring your gun under that same permit into Georgia, those kind of things around across state lines, which applies to a lot of things. So this is not a radical expansion of of, of, you know, gun carrying and those kind of things. It just uh, limits the ability for states to kind of be restrictive uh, in punishing on the Second Amendment rights. But it's a legitimate well, debate. Well, y- yes. I mean, what you just said, I, I understand. At the same time, what it also means is that um, we, are, uh, we are going to have to, assuming the governor signs this into law, uh, the state will have to recognize uh, the right of a person who got his his or her gun under circumstances that may be completely different from state to state. And so we may be letting people carry guns in this state who have had no restrictions whatsoever in obtaining their weapons in whatever state they were in to begin with. Right, Heath? Uh, you know, I haven't read the, the final version of the bill, but, but if so, I, I still don't think this is a radical expansion, right, of gun rights. That's not that, that doesn't go to the heart of the matter of what we're dealing with, the mental health issues and the things we have to deal with and, gun, and, with, and with gun safety and these mass shootings, in our opinion. All right, Kurt, um, let me bring you in on this, if I may. Um, you know, when Heath says that, and I brought it up first, that um, legislators who vote for this bill are responding to their constituents, what we should really say is a little bit more refined than that. We should say they're responding to their base, to the Republicans in their base who want Second Amendment freedom at all costs. We know that in general, uh, 
every poll shows us that a majority of Georgians and a majority of Americans do favor some form of gun safety, gun control uh, measures. And, and so it's the base that's getting what it wants, not the voter at large, Kurt. Right. You, you read my mind. I was going to make that point as I was listening to uh, Heath's comment. Um, it, it is gun control. Sensible gun control legislation is popular. And the polls show that, as you, I'm repeating your point, that a majority of Americans support uh, uh, sensible gun control. But, but what's happening in Georgia has to be understood in the context of a, of a zeitgeist, right? There's a, there's, a, uh, there's a particular moment in history that we're experiencing right now. And part of it has to do with this uh, massive shift that we saw occur in Washington, D.C. Um, the, 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 the legislation that we're talking about in the state of Georgia is occurring within the context of national politics. And in a sense, what you're looking at is uh, going to be the nationalizing of this particular kind of discussion in the state of Georgia. Now, in the previous administration, uh, this type of discussion might not have generated the kind of response that it's going to uh, generate now. Uh, because in many ways the decisions at the state level, uh, particularly in Republican states or red states, would have been uh, supported, absorbed, buttressed uh, by uh, uh, um, the leadership in the administration and, of course, a, a, a Republican-run uh, Senate. Now that dynamic has changed, and not only has it changed in terms of representation uh, uh, and the elections, it's also changed in terms of the agenda items that are now being taken on by uh, the Senate. And so uh, uh, clearly, clearly, while Georgia would have been sustained in this kind of campaign or this kind of legislation, uh, during the Trump administration, during the Biden administration, what's going to happen, I believe, is that the state is going to be, become, in many ways, a, a lightning rod, a, a focal point of all that some would consider to be uh, the wrong direction. Uh, even if it, even if the details are minute, uh, the state becomes the focal point of the wrong direction, and in many ways can contribute to uh, uh, the very uh, reality that um, um, it, it appears the, uh, um, uh, the Republican leadership in the state is trying to push back against. Two points I'd like to make to um, to add to this conversation. The, the first is that when when we talk about polling and what the public wants, you know, often they're polled just in terms of you know generally would you like more restrictions, less restrictions. There there is more support for things like red flag laws for universal background checks. But then once you do get into more specific issues like reciprocal carry, you know, it does get a little bit muddier. And then when you ask people if they support the Second Amendment in general, um, also that's a much different story. Um, I think it's worth talking about Brian Kemp and, and the position he is now politically and why we're expecting him to sign this measure. Um, you know, he's obviously been on the outs with uh, the Republican base for a while now after the November election and, you know, people who are mad at him that he wouldn't overturn the election results in Georgia. So this is a very easy way for him to help curry favor with the Republican base. And even rank-and-file Republican legislators, why not? In a changing time, this is an easy way to, to rack up points, and especially if you are uh, one of these state officials under fire by the Trump wing of the party, um, an easy way to get support. Um, of course, Heath, this is part of his brand. We all remember that this is the candidate for governor who ran his uh, uh, first big ad uh, holding a shotgun on his lap while talking to the boy who was taking his daughter out on a date for the first time. He he put guns very prominently into uh, ads that he ran. 
No, no that's right. I think uh, forget the short-term politics for uh, Governor Kemp. I mean, this this is a policy that he's advocated since uh, before he was elected governor. It's been something that's working his way through state legislatures around uh, the country uh, for a number of years outside of the current context. I do agree with the esteemed professor that anything that happens in the state of Georgia is going to become a federal issue uh, as we are a battleground state now. However, unlike our friends at Saturday Night Live, I don't think we're a blue state. I think we're still a center-right state. And a lot of our Democratic friends outside of the metro area are big advocates of the Second Amendment. On top of that, uh, if you go to Adventure Outdoors uh, in Cobb County, uh, they will tell you that over the last three or four years, the largest increase in purchasers are of African-American or uh, uh, people of color. And so uh, the Democratic base uh, seems to be uh, responding well to the desire to have weapons as well. And so I think it's going to be an interesting issue that's not as easily uh, defined as it has been in the past, even for my Democratic friends. Okay, um, Kurt, go ahead. Yeah, really quickly, that's a great point that he makes. Uh, uh, certainly in the African-American community, gun, gun purchases are skyrocketing. Uh, and, it's, and it's in many ways a reflection of the times. It's in many ways a reflection of the times and an attempt to, to, to be very, very careful of what one sees happening, not only in the African-American community, but also in other communities, as we just saw in uh, 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 in our Asian American community, but I think the the, the point though the point the, the fulcrum has to do with the uh, uh, readily availability of assault weapons. I think that's where you begin to see a kind of a, 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 a shift in the in the conversation. All right, um, let's move on. I, and again, I want to just talk about a few other measures that we're going to watch unfold over the next <clears throat> excuse me twenty four plus hours. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, Jen Jordan, uh, many people, I think, are going to be very pleased to learn that the uh, overhaul of the citizen's arrest law, which has been in place in Georgia since the Civil War, uh, is on track to uh, pass. The Senate passed its own version yesterday. I guess there are enough changes that it goes to back to the House where there could, they can agree and send it to the governor's desk. But would you say that's one of the good news stories that comes out of this session? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the few good news stories um, that comes out of the session. And I was glad we were finally able to get it over the line. You know, I do worry when people start messing with um, amendments and kind of trying to slow legislation down, um, that it's it's being done intentionally um, to maybe, you know, effectively stop it. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed it'll get back over to the House and um, and we can get it to the governor's desk as quickly as possible. Well, let me follow up on that. Is Was anything added in the Senate, any amendment added that you think is going to create a problem on the House side? It shouldn't. I mean, but the problem with amendments is that they're not vetted. Um, and specifically when you're talking about, um, you know, parts of a law that, that impact so many other sections, um, you know, you've just got to be careful about amending something on the fly. So I'm hopeful that it won't, you know, trip it up. Um, but until, you know, the House agrees and um, and send it on its way, we're, we're going to be just kind of waiting and, and hoping that it gets there. Um, I think it's important to uh, remind people that one of the reasons that the General Assembly is looking at the overhaul of citizens' arrest has to, goes back to the Ahmad Arbery um, shooting death more than a year ago now, Tamar, um, in that case, 
the first district attorney who had an opportunity to indict uh, or take to a grand jury the men who uh, were responsible for the shooting, chose not to do it because he said they were exercising their rights under the citizen's arrest statute in the state of Georgia. And that really uh, led to enough outrage that Republicans and Democrats have come together uh, essentially to pass this overhaul tomorrow. Yeah, this has been in the making for more than a year. And and I know the legislature was trying to do it last session and just kind of ran out of time with the pandemic. But, you know, if and when this gets to the governor's desk, Georgia would be the first state of all 50 states, I believe, to to roll back its citizens arrest law. So it would be a huge deal uh, if this happens. And uh, hopefully, you know, signs are looking good at this point that they'll be able to to get to um, an agreement. But, you know, you never know on the, on the last day of session and you know, time has yeah. a way of kind of slipping through everybody's fingers. So, note of caution. Heath, there. in times of, oh, I'm sorry, Tamar. Heath, in times of extreme partisanship, there are occasionally bills that Republicans and Democrats downtown can come together on. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Bill. I wanted to take a moment on this show and in our everyday lives. We seem to become hyper partisanized, and I think that. The, the unfortunate and tragic events around Ahmad Arbery are one that I think this state has shown uh, some of its worst and some of its best in the sense that our state leadership did get involved and have started to correct uh, the injustice, uh, starting with citizens' arrest. And it's a great example of how Heath Garrett and, and Senator Jen Jordan and uh, Burt Reeves and Republicans and Democrats, uh, people of all colors, can come together around and have a civil discussion and start to make progress uh, as we do that. And so I do want to celebrate that for a second just because it's too important. And, and this is exactly why Georgia has been the kind of shining hill in the South. And we, we things like this need to continue to happen if we can have civil discussion around uh, you know racially tinged uh, issues like this. I think this is a, a good first step, not the final step, but a good first step. Um, Kurt, I want to give you a chance to weigh in uh, before we move on to a couple of issues that I think uh, would be examples in which Georgia is not looked at as a shining state on the hill uh, by people across the country. But Heath makes a point about this bill uh, in and of itself. Your, your thoughts on the fact that this looks like it's finally going to happen. Yeah, and I think it's a good sign. It's a good sign that in many ways represent all of what the state of Georgia promises to be. Right, so the state of Georgia is is, is unique in this sense, right? It, it, on the one hand, Heath is correct. It's not a it's not a blue state it, it, in many ways, particularly when you look outside of the city of Atlanta or the Atlanta metropolitan area. It is still a red state, but what you have is a city. I mean, a state that is in many ways composed of two states, right? You have the state of Georgia, and then you have the state of Atlanta, right? Uh, and that state of Atlanta, uh, as demonstrated in 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 twenty. Uh, 20, in the 2020 elections, uh, has muscle, right? Certainly, it's only a metropolitan area within the state, but it has it has the ability to impact state politics and, by extension, national politics. The state has to come to terms with the fact that it has this kind of energy within it, and the sooner that the state recognizes that it has to be able to speak to these two different realities, right? The state of Atlanta and the state of Georgia, obviously the other way around, right? The true state of Georgia and the Atlanta metropolitan area and other other bastions of uh, of, of some um, uh, blueness, right, if you will. Uh, as soon as it uh, comes to terms with that and, and begin to govern legislate from that perspective, you have more of these types of examples, which makes uh, perfect sense and is totally in line with what should happen in the state 
where you have these kind of differences and 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 complexities as the state of Georgia. Uh, Ginger, before we have to get to a break, there are any number of bills. I have a punch list I could go down of bills that everybody's going to be watching in the days in the day ahead. But I really should turn to you and say, what are you looking at as you approach the final day of the session that that really has your attention that you're most interested in getting through or you're concerned about passing? Let me give you a chance to just tell us what your focus is on right now. Yeah, I'm probably more focused on stopping some stuff. Um, There is one that has been um, called the Granny Cam um, bill up here, which basically um, the AARP is against it. And what it would do is it would prevent um, families of elderly residents in nursing homes from having hidden cameras, Um, you know, trying to make sure that their loved ones aren't being neglected came out of a case where um, 89-year-old gentleman um, died from neglect, and um, the neglect was revealed on the video. And so basically the nursing home lobbyists and industry have come back strong to try to um, prevent families from being able to do that and protect their loved ones. Um, So that's one that I'm keenly, keenly focused on. Um, And then there is another that's basically just kind of a, a a Christmas tree of, of goodie giveaways in terms of tax credits, um, and it's something that we really, it really needs to be stopped. So th- those are kind of the two biggies right now. So we'll see. I'm sure something else will pop up. Well, let me let me follow up on that with you real quickly before we get to the break because you talk about the tax credits. I and I'm I don't really know the details because because it's. Um, I haven't been able to get into depth about it, but I'll bet you have. So we know that the legislature came into the session saying, gee, maybe we ought to reexamine these huge tax credits we give to people like the film and television industry and others. Maybe they're no longer uh, producing the kind of uh, revenue results we need. But my understanding is that the measure that would call for that kind of study now also enshrines those tax credits into law for at least a a period of time ahead, right? Yeah, I mean, the measure that would have studied it to determine the return on investment and to make sure it was still sound public policy in the state, that basically went down in flames um, in the House, like big flames. Um, And in response, the House basically sent over a bill that was just chock full of millions millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of basically, um, you know, corporate giveaways. Uh, So that's a real fight here. And um, in light of the COVID relief package being impacted by um, tax credits or, you know, if if we try to backfill revenue um, because we've given away so much money in terms of uh, tax credits or cuts, and how that could impact the ability of the state to actually pull down that money, I think is something that we need to be incredibly um, careful of and um, and tread very lightly as we move forward. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. And when we come back, we'll have a lot more to talk about with our panel. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
Senator Jen Jordan, Dr. Kurt Young of Clark Atlanta University, Republican political consultant Heath Garrett, and my Tuesday partner from the AJC, senior reporter Tamar Hellerman. Uh, you know, Heath, I think I've got to go to you. I want a, a moment. I'm going to take a moment to talk about history on, uh, as we approach the 40th day of the General Assembly, and I'll tell you why. One of our um, really constant listeners, and I, he sent me an email, and he didn't give me permission to use his name, so I won't. But he sent me, Keith, a, photo, a photograph of the front page of the Atlanta Journal from February 1964, which has a photograph that enshrines on it, Heath, the moment in which State Representative Denmark Groover, one of the real powerhouses in the General Assembly, as the 40th day was winding down to the end, it was like 1159, and... Uh, they had a redistricting plan. They were trying to get through. It didn't look like it was going to make the clock. And the picture shows Denmark Groover, who went up into the gallery that overlooks the House chamber, leaned over and literally grabbed the hands of the clock to stop it from turning to midnight. Heath. It, was, it was one of those great, funny moments in General Assembly history. That, that is an iconic photograph, and it, uh, I think it exemplifies the mayhem that occurs in the last few hours of all state legislatures. I, I think that, uh, of course, what's interesting, Jen Jordan, is that I think we've sort of subsequently learned, especially in the last couple sessions, that midnight doesn't really mean midnight, doesn't have that much impact on day, any given day of the legislature, right? It seems to be that way. People people seem to be able to kind of, you know, shift the rules when they need to a little bit. Although the Senate, um, we've been we've been getting out before midnight the the last couple of sunny days. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the lieutenant governor does this year. That's exactly right. Um, I well, think thank Jen Jordan might be jinxing me. herself. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, Tamar. <laughs> so, Tamar, um, let's talk for a couple minutes because uh, we we do need to continue to address the uh, reverberations from the election law signed by the governor uh, late last week or middle of last week. We we now have um, increasing calls for boycotts. Um, there are some people who want the All Star Game to move the Major League. Uh, the Major League Baseball Players Union is looking at whether they want the game to be held here. There's been calls for boycotts of um, Georgia as a vet, one of the venues for the 2026 World Cup football soccer uh, uh, tournament. Um, and and this is and, and there are also some calls for boycotts of companies like Coca-Cola and Delta which were fairly reticent in coming out strongly, as they have in other legislation, really coming out strongly in uh, saying these, these bills should not go through. But boycotts like this have a way of gaining a lot of attention, but they rarely go very far, right? Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the, the companies that, that people are talking about boycotting, you know, Home Depot, Coca-Cola, Delta, obviously huge Goliaths in Georgia and around the country, it's also kind of hard to not patronize some of those businesses if you want to have a soda sometimes. So you have that aspect of it. Um, but also, especially if you're a politician, right, you still have to end up working with a lot of those companies. You know, if 
they still give out a lot of political donations. Then you also have to worry about your constituents, right? So many of whom are employed by a lot of these companies. Delta is the biggest employer in the entire state, so you are bound to have constituents who work um, who work for the airline, especially in Metro Atlanta. Um, and you, you know, you're you're increasingly nervous. You don't want to have a company say, "Okay, we're going to leave then," um, and and really kind of harm the region. I, I, people always talk about that in terms of the film industry and the, the billions of dollars of investment that have gone in over the years and all of the schools that have gone in, all of the infrastructure. You know, how far do you want to take it? You don't want it to imperil something like that if you're, if you're a legislator. So there, there is a tightrope to walk, right? People are mad and you want to be able to respond to constituents who are angry and frustrated and want to find a way to fight back. But there are also plenty of other considerations, political and economic. Um, Jen Jordan, yeah. I think you've been quoted as saying you don't approve, you do not want to see boycotts of businesses in the state. No, and I think, look, I think you have to kind of go back and frame the issue or the problem. It's like, what do you want to do? And what it seems is that people want these these companies to somehow put pressure on the legislature or the governor to change the law. The problem is that we are going into day 40 tomorrow. So even if, even if they could actually do that. Um, we are out of the legislative session as of midnight tomorrow. And so with respect to that, we're not gonna be back in until next January. D do I believe in putting pre pressure on these corporations and these businesses? Absolutely. Um, but I think we have to kind of figure out exactly what is the expectation there and what do we want them to do? And then how do we get there? And I'm not sure, um, you know, just out and out boycotts are necessarily going to get us there, and it actually may hurt a lot of the citizens of Georgia um, more than help ultimately. Hey, Heath, why why did these major corporations stay out of this uh, uh, fight? I, I mean, when religious liberty was um, on the on the agenda at the state capitol, they were very strong in opposing uh, uh, some of the more restrictive measures around religious liberty. Um, wh wh why, why did they stay in the background, especially given, number one, that a company like Delta, Home Depot, uh, Coca-Cola, first of all, employs many, many African-Americans, and number two, are marketing their products uh, for a community that includes a large number of African-Americans and other minorities? I, why did they stay so quiet on this? You know, Bill, I think it's because they were following the legislative process. I'm not sure they were quiet on it. They expressed their concerns about some of the provisions that a few legislators put forward, but they were following what happened. I mean, I think that there's a lot of smoke that was created by my friends on the Democratic side that didn't turn out to be real on this issue. And now we've got this problem of trying to put this boycott back in the box because they read the legislation. One of the problems we have, particularly over the last 72 hours is is the complete myth of what this bill does and does not do. For example, this morning, the Washington Post had to give an unheard of four Pinocchios to the president of the United States, Biden, because he completely misrepresented what the law did in his uh, news conference the other day. And so, I mean, that's not exactly the most conservative bastion of the media, the Washington Post. And so we had people out this week on CNN 
even on Fox News, NBC saying that, that this, this piece of legislation did not allow for food or water in line. That's patently false. It's not in the legislation. You could absolutely have water and food in line. Poll workers can provide it for the first 150 feet. Third parties can do it beyond 150 feet. We have people saying that you weren't going to be able to have, you know, they limited drop boxes. Drop boxes have never been in the law before, so they've been added. I, I just... I'm really concerned that the rhetoric around this got so out of control that, that people around the country still believe that some of the rhetoric they heard is what actually is in this legislation is not. And so I feel bad for Senator Jordan that she's having to go out there and say, don't boycott our companies because of the rhetoric the Democrats uh, put in. But it's not in the legislation. This is this is not Jim Crow point 2.0. And I'm really disappointed in Stacey Abrams and others for going that far. Well, let me respond to that. Look, there may have been some um, some issues in terms of, of what actually came out in, in the last bill because it was changed so much and there were different substitutes put in every day and it was not a transparent process at all. But at the end of the day, what actually passed is, is incredibly, incredibly troublesome and, and actually goes further um, than I've seen any other kind of voter bill before in terms of, of giving power to the legislature to go in and take over these local elections boards. So, you know, y- y'all can focus on food and water and, and look, and, and I disagree with, with what you just said about that. But the most dangerous part of this bill, and I have been saying this from day one on the floor until this morning, is that basically the legislature controlled by the GOP, is trying to take over these local elections boards who, at the end of the day, um, are the ones that certify the results, are the ones who deal with the absentee ballots, that set the hours and stuff. And that that is incredibly, I mean, that that is something that, that is just unprecedented. So let, let's not act like this is some kind of big, you know, pro-voter bill, because it's not. It's basically a pro-GOP power bill. Kurt, I, I want to pick up on what uh, both Heath and Jen Jordan said. I mean, first of all, I think that th- the notion that so much of the national media and some people here in Georgia were, they made the, the most, they showcased the notion that you as a volunteer can't give water to somebody standing in line. They, they made that the, the, the big issue. In, in all of this, whereas what, which is, is, I mean, this is me personally, feels slightly trivial to me. The, the conversation about it being inhumane and all that sort of thing, fine, okay. But Jen Jordan just made an important point. This new law will allow the legislature the power to take over local elections if they feel that the elections are not being run uh, effectively, efficiently, or whatever. Isn't that really, and I'll give Heath a chance to respond, but Kurt, isn't that something we all ought to be looking at carefully? Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's let's be careful, and I appreciate this conversation, because we should be careful not to fall victim to the uh, trivializing of, of this issue. I agree. Now, the reason that the water issue and the food issue is so uh, uh, digestible is because it's an easy issue to grab and to communicate nationally. However, when you look on the ground, Stacey Abrams and many, many others who are responding to this, the substance of the response 
has much more to do with what uh, a senator is mentioning. It talks about what can be con- understood as a disenfranchisement of the vote. Right now, that's one point. The other point, and now we know that this has been discussed, so you know we can we can get into it. Uh, I imagine, Bill, if you like, but uh, it also is understood against the backdrop of what many clearly see to be an inaccurate, if not outright false, interpretation of the source or the reason for these kinds of uh, policies to be implemented. The last thing that I would say, though, Bill, if you just give me one one point, one more moment to make this point, you, the state of Georgia can't have it both ways. From the 1960s, the state has been very deliberate in developing a certain kind of image of itself, right? And certainly within the uh, um, the major uh, um, 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 centers, such as the city of Atlanta, right? We're in the 1960s, a cradle of the civil rights movement. In the 1970s, uh, the city, this, uh, Atlanta, the city too busy to hate. Uh, the 1980s, this bastion of, of uh, emerging uh, examples of, of, of progressive political leadership. Uh, uh, the 1990s, an international city captured within the context of, uh, of the uh, of Olymp- Olympics. Uh, 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 and on and on and on. I guess the 2000s version would have been the, uh, 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 the Georgia, the, the gateway to the South, and, and in terms of the cultural capital of the South and captured in the context of, uh, of the film industry. If the state is going to begin to take on these images, it cannot at the same time be seen as, an, uh, as a bastion of Jim Crowism, uh, notwithstanding Heath's point. Right? The perception is the reality. If the state is being perceived to be a state that's hostile to the fundamental human rights of political representation and democracy, regardless of whether or not one can, uh, there are nuances in, in what the bill says about how far the water can be passed out, it has to grapple with that. And what's happening now, I, I would disagree, although I agree with 90% of what the senator mentioned, I, I disagree. The, 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 on the point of the boycott, the boycott is an instrument of the powerless against the powerful, right? And it's used, it has had success in the past to uh, uh, force the powerful to come to terms with some of the problems associated with its policies. Now, the, it, it, and the boycott is also a long-term game, right? It's not a short-term game. It's a game, if you look, for example, at what happened in the, in the Birmingham, Alabama, I'm sorry, the Montgomery, Alabama uh, bus boycott, which is often held up as the, as the prime examples of the power of the, uh, of the boycott. This is something that played over out over a period of, of months, if not a year. And so uh, there are nuances here that, that are a part of the strategic uh, approach to boycotting. I thank you for, for that, uh, Kurt. But Heath, I want to give you a chance to respond, and then we've got to get to a final break of the show and move on. Yeah, I think that if the, if the state and the nation would read this law and ask the basic bottom line question, does this give you more time to vote? Does it give you more access to voting than the law was previously? The answer would be yes. So it's extremely difficult for me to see how this narrative of Jim Crow point two oh is nothing other than race baiting, which I think is detrimental to racial reconciliation and healing in this state and this country. And I think that's why corporate Georgia did not respond the way they did in other bills. And I think that my friends on the left are dramatically misrepresenting, and I think that's irresponsible. And the media has gone along Tomorrow. with it, and I think that's irresponsible too. Tomorrow, let me give you a last word. You asked Heath at the beginning of the segment what's different, uh, you know, between this and religious liberty. And I think with religious liberty, the Republican Party was divided on it, right? You had social conservatives who were really pushing for it and a lot more establishment Republicans uncomfortable with some of those changes. The difference now is that 
the the full Republican Party is supportive of this bill. And if you are a big corporation that wants to reach out to everyone, you are scared of turning off 50% of your customers. And so that's why I think you saw very uh, kind of tepid public comments from a lot of these corporations. Uh, if, finally, uh, as we get to the break, I think one of the things that's fascinating about this is we may never in 2022 see a true test of whether this measure is in fact uh, uh, geared to voter suppression because the response from minorities, from Democrats, may be so overwhelming. The push to get voters to the polls may be so extraordinary that we'll never know for certain uh, whether this bill, in fact, encouraged more people to vote or kept people from voting. But you know what? We'll talk about that in November of 2022. You're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Hey, Tamar Hallerman, if uh, people who oppose these uh, voting measures want to hold, grab hold of a very, very uh, representative uh, picture uh, that this is Jim Crow 2.0, they really don't have to look a whole lot further than the video and photographs of Park Cannon, an African-American legislator, being dragged away from the governor's door in handcuffs and thrown into jail for knocking on his door when he was giving his uh, live stream of why he approved these uh, measures. Um, and, and I think it's, we, we do have to spend a couple minutes on it because the state trooper has now said that when he was standing there with her, he had images in his head of the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. And I found that to be a very, really a startling a comment to make, given that it was Park Cannon and a very small handful of demonstrators behind her. Yeah, and and kind of the image that kind of was conjured up was the, the banging on the door um, and, and the Kemps being kind of freaked out on the inside of the door, but, but obviously in the Capitol, kind of the insurrectionists banging as well. Um, but yeah, certainly a, a haunting image of Park Cannon um, that you saw all over the national media of her being dragged around and you know, you saw it again yesterday as she arrived back at the state capitol with members of the King family, a sort of silent protest with uh, Representative Cannon in a, in a sling um, being walked in. And um, yeah, certainly an image uh, for the public to graft onto for sure. Kurt, um, it, it struck me. I, 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 yesterday on the show, one of our panelists said that Park Cannon got just what she was hoping for, an incident. Uh, that could be used uh, uh, for her side of this argument. I, we don't know what was in her mind, um, but it, it strikes me that uh, the Republicans who uh, support this measure uh, certainly didn't get what they wanted out of the imagery of her being led away in handcuffs. Yeah, that's the point I'm, I'm, I've been trying to make. You know, the state... And I, and I know the state is 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 multifaceted, right? It's not not a monolith, but nonetheless, the leadership in the state really has to uh, address its image problem. Here you have a, a young black woman who's coming to knock on the door, bang on the door, if you will, trying to enter to see the signing. And I'm gonna give, I'm gonna take her at, her at her word. She said that that's what she was doing. You cannot take that. And, 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 and expect a rosy image when 
the interpretation of that is from the gentleman saying the truth, the, the uh, uh, law enforcement person saying that uh, he had images of the Capitol. Well, the image of the Capitol that we have been talking about in terms of the contradictions is the image that we all saw of the uh, of the, uh, uh, um, the, the, the the stark difference between the law enforcement response to the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, um, protest, which was just a massive show of police force, and the very lukewarm response to the violent protest that was in many ways beginning to look like a, a, a an insurrection or coup d'etat, or whatever type of terminology that one would. And so these contradictions that are, are playing out right and forth before everyone's eye, everyone's eyes, they don't do well for the state that's, again, trying to embrace these assumptions that, that we would like to um, hear. Heath and then Jen, I'll ask again something I've asked on the show every day since this incident. What would it cost Governor Kemp or one of his spokespersons to come out and say, we didn't realize that she was being arrested. We think it's unfortunate that a state representative was dragged out in handcuffs. We'd like to talk to her about what happened. It it strikes me it would cost them nothing, except that by saying nothing, they play to their base. Well, uh, no, I don't don't assign any kind of ill will in in that regard to it. I think if we're going to take her to word, we also have to take the, the, the folks who were there at the incident uh, she calls it knocking on the door. They're very clearly saying it was extremely violent, banging on the door. There's no question that she was trying to create the disturbance to uh, initiate that. That's kind of her uh, shtick down at the state capitol. And so, look, this is it unfortunate? Absolutely. And I think this is a terrible indication of where we are as a society nationally. And so uh, do I think that trooper saying that's exactly right? No, but the problem we have now in our society is if the governor comes out uh, and starts trying to explain uh, on something that's like this, it, it just, the, the, the narrative has already been written by the media without getting the other side of the story. So look, is it, I agree with the professor. This is not the imagery you want in the state of Georgia, nor is it reflective of the state of Georgia. I think we have a particular representative uh, who, who is taking advantage of this at the moment. And, and it, it is, but we, you're right. We need to find ways to lower the temperature on this uh, and these types of issues. Jen, we're getting close to out of time, but I want to give you a chance on this. Yeah, it would have cost them nothing. I mean, nothing. I mean, look, at the end of the day, people can, you know, spin and say whatever they want, but the video speaks for itself. There was a handful of women that were standing outside. I was on the the balcony overlooking. I saw it all. It's absolutely ridiculous uh, to try to say that that, uh, Representative Cannon and and the women that were with her somehow evoked um, images of the insurrectionists and that these these poor Capitol policemen were just, you know, taken aback. It it just, it, it, I'll just take a deep breath and say it would have cost them nothing. It would have been a real moment of leadership um, and probably could have gone a long way to help heal um, some of the racial divide that we are experiencing right now. Tomorrow, with about 20 seconds, Jen Jordan makes an interesting point. It could have been a moment of healing, perhaps. This is not where we are as a country anymore. Um, Apologies in politics happen less and less. This was Donald Trump's America where he never apologized. Uh, It's his Mm. party still. Mm. Tamar Hallerman, Kurt Young.
Keith Garrett, Senator Jen Jordan, thank you for a really interesting conversation today. Jen Jordan, I hope you're powered up for that long day. Uh, tomorrow, good luck with the legislation you're working on. Uh, we'll be talking about this tomorrow and Thursday on Political Rewind, of course. We're completely out of time. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Until then, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and go get your vaccine as soon as possible. Bye, everybody. <laughs>